For the rest of us, if you are able, please rise in respect and honor of God's word. This morning we read from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I invite you please to join with me in prayer before we continue to kind of delve into this psalm. Father, uh, we thank you that you are already shaping us, that as you call us to praise you, that even in that praise, um, we are brought nearer to you. And now you speak to us very explicitly in your word, and we pray, knowing our inadequacy, knowing how deeply we need you to make us wise, uh, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say, and that you would help me uh, to speak clearly and faithfully so that together we might hear you and be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I would like for us to do this morning. Here's what I hope to convince you of by the end of this time. And that is that praise, the things that we've already been engaging in in song beforehand, that we do every Sunday amongst other times, that praise is supremely practical. Because praise is the pathway to wisdom. Praise is supremely practical because praise is the pathway to wisdom. Now to get there, I want to first think a little bit about wisdom with you for a moment. Um, When I was in seminary, one of our most beloved professors was also one of our worst teachers. What he would do when he would come to the lectern is he would have these notes that he's probably read a thousand times before, and he would just kind of read the lecture, and there would just be this soothing pace and cadence, and if I hadn't had like six cups of coffee, I'd have a hard time following him. And that was true for most of the students who were there. But he was loved not because of the way he taught, but because of the life that he lived. He is the kind of guy that you would go to when you needed advice. There was something about him, you know, he was older, he was incredibly smart. Um, and there was a gentleness and a humility about him. You knew that he had been through some hard things and, and come out wiser on the other side. And it's not that he had life all figured out, but he knew how to navigate life well. And so when you, as a seminary student who are still very much figuring things out, wanted to kind of understand things better, it would not be an uncommon thing to go to him. 
guess is some of you have people like that or had people like that in your life. Someone that you might think of as a mentor or an example or, or when you're trying to figure something out, you go, I really would like to talk to this person. And, and we have people like that because we know that there are better and worse ways of living. Right? I mean, so, so when we face conflict, we know that in that moment we're deciding how to relate to the person that we're in conflict with, we could do something that could blow up the relationship forever. Or if we make the choices wisely, we could actually use this conflict to draw nearer to the person. Uh, we know that sometimes when we face anxiety or stress, if we don't react the way we should, we can just kind of like lose ourselves, get all anxious and crazy and not be able to relate well. Or there are times that the difficulties can be actually something that God uses to grow us and we can respond well to. We know that there are people, and we've probably seen people in our lives, who seem to constantly be self-destructing, to be making choices that make their lives harder and harder. And yet at the same time, we also know that there are people who aren't just lucky. I mean, they have the same difficult things that we experience, but they seem to navigate things well. And we want to imitate them, right? There's a psalm, actually the psalm that goes right after this psalm, Psalm 112, that describes that kind of person. Just to, uh, to clarify something, the, the psalm that we're reading, Psalm 111, is actually part one of a two-part psalm set. Psalms 111 and 112 were meant to be read together. They have the same structure. They have verbal connections. They're meant to interpret each other well. And so Psalm 112 is about that person that I've just described. It's a person who lives well. This person is able to parent fruitfully. Their, their job is, is, is profitable. They work well. They are, their character is esteemed well by the entire community. And when they face difficulties, because they do, they're able to do it without fear. There's a picture of that's the person that we want to be like, that we want to learn from. And what Scripture describes is that, that quality that is so desirable, the word that it uses again and again, as many of us know, is wisdom. Wisdom is that skill of living well. And what the Bible tells us is that wisdom is not something that is innate. It's not genetic. It's not just some people have it and some people don't. It is, it is something that can be acquired. You can go from not being not wise to being wise by taking in wisdom, which means wisdom, the Bible says, is more precious than riches, than rubies, than gold, than silver. And of course it is, because we know of people who have all sorts of gold and silver and have miserable lives. Whereas to be wise means that even if your life isn't that good, you can learn how to navigate it well and joyfully in a way that is connecting to others. Wisdom is so incredibly precious. And so the question that is the natural one to ask is how, how do we acquire wisdom? How can we learn how to live well? Because we know it's not just a matter of schooling. You know, it's entirely possible, and we know this, to have a high GPA and an Ivy League school and yet to navigate life poorly. And it's not just something that you get through experience. If so, that would mean that every 70-year-old in this world were wise, and that's not always the case. Experience is valuable, but it doesn't guarantee you wisdom. And so if wisdom is so precious, if wisdom is what we need to, to be able to live well, how do we acquire wisdom? And our passage that was just read actually answers that question. It's 
The very last verse of Psalm 111, here's what it says. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. There's the answer. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to live well and be in harmony with life? The beginning of that gateway of doing that is through the fear of the Lord. That's how we acquire wisdom, by fearing God. Now, now fearing God, and, and if you've been with us a few years ago when we studied Proverbs, you'll remember that. It's not about terror. It's not being worried that we're going to get harmed. Fear of God is ultimately saying that we with our whole selves are aware that God is real and of who God is. It's this awareness of God. That's what it means about the fear of the Lord. And when we start thinking about it, it makes sense that that would be fundamental to wisdom. If, if I wanted to be someone who fixes cars well, but I said, you know what, I don't really want to understand how the engine works. I just want to learn how to tell me how to fix things. That wouldn't make sense. For me to fix cars well, I need to understand the very basics of an engine, right? Or imagine someone who wants to be a really good musician but is not interested in, in having a sense of rhythm or having an ear for, for how notes work. It doesn't work. For you to be a good musician, you have to understand how music works. And in the same way, if we want to understand life and how to live life well, then if, if what Scripture says is true, and I believe it is, then God is the very center of everything. He's the one who holds everything together. He's the one who is moving everything in that direction. And it is impossible to be truly wise if we don't know God. It is impossible to be truly wise if our lives are not shaped by an awareness, by a fear of God. And so Scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, if you've been with us in the past years when we were studying Proverbs, this is not new to you. But here's the part that I think was at least new to me in terms of my thinking. And here's the surprise that this psalm has. This psalm is a psalm that's not about wisdom per se. It's a psalm that's about praise. And verse 10, if you see it all together, you see there's a connection made. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. That's an interesting in fact, make it, makes it even more clear when we look at Psalm 111 and 112 together. As we said, Psalm 112 is a psalm that's all about wisdom. It's all about the person who lives wisely. And Psalm 111 is a psalm that's all about praise. It's all about praising God. And verse 10 makes the connection. It tells us that the way to be wise is through praise. Because... We want to grow in fear of God. Fear of God is what we need to be wise, and the pathway to this fear of God is through praise. Praise is the pathway to wisdom. Now, that's something I hadn't thought of before. Maybe you haven't either. Uh, you know, we think of praise primarily as like this emotional expression. It's something we do for God. But here it's saying, if you want to be wise, praise is supremely practical. The way to grow in wisdom, the way to learn how to live well when you respond to stress, when you're trying to make difficult decisions, the pathway there is to grow in your ability to praise. Now, why is that? So, so as I've been thinking about it, as I've been studying this passage, I, here's the answer, I think. 
for you to be wise, you need to know who God is at more than just an intellectual level. Fear of God is an all-of-self thing, not just a cognitive thing. See, and we probably understand this already, but I'll say it anyway. We can know things at different levels, right? You can know something that's just at a factual level. So, you know, like there's certain things that's just kind of factual knowledge, which is good for standardized tests and abstract thinking and trivia nights. But there's another kind of, of knowing that we might call the, the intuitional or the like in the deeper emotional experiential knowledge. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, sometimes neuroscientists actually talk about us having kind of different parts of our brain. There's kind of the cognitive part of our brain and there's the emotional part of our brain. And that emotional part of our brain is kind of below our consciousness. We're not as aware of it, but it's where we have those intuitions. You know, when Han Solo says, I've got a bad feeling about this in Star Wars, he's talking about this feeling that's coming from his emotional brain. It's not this cognitive thing. And what you and I don't understand is that part that's kind of below the surface is incredibly powerful. So here's an example. Some of you might have a fear of flying. And when you tell someone that you have a fear of flying, here's what usually they will do. They will say, well, you know, statistically, it's pretty safe. And they might even try explaining how flight <coughs> excuse me, works. And they'll, they'll tell you Bernoulli's principle. And your conscious mind can be absolutely convinced. Yes, statistically, it's safe. Yes, scientifically, it makes sense. But when you're in the seat and the engine is starting to move, you are still afraid. Because you know something in your cognitive brain, but your emotional brain still thinks this does not make sense. Or, or if you have a fear of speaking, sometimes people will say, oh, don't worry. Everybody loves you. You're going to be fine. They're all on your side. Yes, your emotional brain knows there's nothing really to be afraid of. You're not going to like melt in a puddle when you're up front. But yet the moment you start stepping up, your heart is pumping and you're terrified because your emotional brain is not yet convinced of what you already know in an intellectual See, we are deeply, deeply shaped by that part of us that's a little bit below our consciousness, that, that emotional level of understanding. And if we want to truly be wise, if we want to have a fear of the Lord that changes us, we need to fear God not just at this conscious level where we know these things are true about God, but we need to know deeply, fully, at that emotional brain level. And that means we have a battle on our hands because right now our brains ourselves are being overwhelmed by information that is contrary to what the scripture says. Every time we watch a show on TV or read a story, every time we go by a billboard, every time we engage us in our daily practices, every time we're in conversations with others at a deep level in a way that we're not even conscious of, a part of us is being told that God is not central, God is not important, God is not relevant, maybe God is not even real. And again and again, there's a part of us that is being programmed so that even though we have this intellectual understanding of who God is, it doesn't necessarily go all the way down. In fact, so often, our, our slowness in Christian growth is because we understand things here, but it hasn't yet penetrated here. And, and so the question is, how do we grow in such a way that we fear God, not just intellectually, but with our whole selves? And that's where praise comes in. 
God has given us praise not because he needs to be praised. He doesn't. God has given us praise because we need to praise. Because as we praise the things that we might know at an intellectual level, as we sing, as we say the truths about God, they slowly descend and change us through and through. And that's what our psalm describes for us. If you look at our psalm, you notice that it, it, it speaks of praise in a way that, that penetrates beyond just the intellectual. We see how praise is emotional. We pr- see how praise is social. We see how praise is experiential, which means ultimately that praise is practical. Let me show you what I mean. So Psalm 111, as it begins, when it says, Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. With my whole heart. I'm not going to just give thanks to God intellectually or with actions. I'm going to give thanks to God with my whole heart, which includes my emotions. Praise is emotional. Uh, we see in verse 2, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. There is this invitation to praise in an emotionally engaged way, right? Have you ever wondered why we do Sunday mornings the way that we do? Uh, you know, if you think about it, it could be a really efficient service if we just every week ask the same question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is God? And then everyone answers, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And then after saying that, we could just sit down and go straight to the sermon. That would be incredibly efficient. And it's all true, right? And yet scripture says that we're supposed to to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, making music in our hearts to God. Why? Songs are so much slower than that. So so why sing? Why does Scripture say we should sing? And we know the answer, don't we? That, That music connects with us at an emotional level. It it awakens our emotions to taste the beauty, the joy, the emotional significance of the truths that we confess. It's one thing for me to say that, that anyone who has Jesus has all that they need. That's, that's true. But when we sing hallelujah, all I have is Christ, that's something we feel. You know, it's, it's good to be able to speak about how you are, have assurance in Christ Jesus, but to say, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. That is something different. I I know we Presbyterians um, have a certain reputation, and it's not for us being over-exuberant in our praise. We don't think of Presbyterians dancing and clapping and just, like, you know, doing all sorts of things like that. And I think part of it is because we have a little bit of a fear that we know that that emotionalism can be overly manipulative. That there can be kind of this inauthentic, just kind of emotional expression that doesn't have its root in reality. And we don't want to go there. And fair enough. But I hope you understand that the the other danger on the other side is just as great, if not more. If we... If we remain emotionally neutral at the glorious news of the gospel, that does damage to our souls. Until you feel sad, truly sad about your sin, you will not be able to repent. 
until we feel the joy, the knowledge that God loves us, we won't be able to trust Him. Until we're able to gaze and recognize in some profound way that God is beautiful, that Christ is beautiful, then we will not be able to believe that what God has for us is better than whatever the world has for us. For us to be wise, for us to fear God, it needs to affect our emotions. So, so let me encourage you, even as I encourage myself, I was thinking about this because I've already knew the sermon that I'd written, and the first song that we sang, it wasn't until like the last verse that I realized, I have not paid attention to a single thing I've just sung. Let me encourage you along with myself, not to make that mistake. To actually focus and open ourselves up to the emotional weight of the songs that we sing because it is incredibly important that we allow those emotions to be affected. I'm not a hand raiser because I'm, you know, New Englander, super self-conscious in certain ways, but some of you are. And let me say, please, if that is something that is natural to you, do that. If it is natural to clap, do that. This is... This is the most amazing news that we are celebrating week in and week out, and it is right for us to be emotionally exuberant. <laughs> uh, no, let's not go over it. <laughs> I've always actually wanted to have like, uh, yeah, we won't get into that. But, um, yeah, there we go, all right. Wow, man, in one night we're hitting revival. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> We're joking and we're laughing, but we actually understand there's importance to this, right? That, that, that we are halfway creatures if this doesn't involve our emotions. Praise is emotional, and we need that because wisdom only happens when it penetrates our emotions. It's not just emotional, it's also social. Do you notice the, the next thing it says? After it says, Great are the works of, uh, sorry, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. This is not accidentally saying, when I praise, I want to praise with God's people. Yes, we can praise on our own. We can certainly on our own have prayers where we're saying, God, you are glorious, and that's good. But there's something about praise that is meant to be shared. And that's intentional. Because that's also a part of the way that we are formed and that we grow. Uh, there's a book that was written a few years ago by a man by the name of David Brooks, who's a columnist, and it was uh, called The Social Animal, and it really was collecting a lot of information about this very thing, about the ways that we are shaped in kind of subconscious ways, and he talks about the emotions, but one of the things he especially focuses on, and the name implies this, is how deeply social you and I are, and how deeply formed we are by our social connections. Whether you realize it or not, an enormous percentage of who you are is formed not by information transfer, but by imitation. And think about it. How did you learn to speak? It wasn't like you went to school and they explained how words are. It was just you heard it and you imitated it and you learned it. How do we learn to make friends? Again, it's not a five-step process. It's, it's someone reaches out to us and we start learning what friendship looks like by imitation. How do we know how, how to spend our money appropriately? We've seen it. How do we know what to look forward to, how to spend our vacations? So much of what we do is because of other people. We are formed in terms of our dreams, our desires, our way of seeing the world by the people around us. 
And that's not wrong. It's, no matter how much we might read Ralph Waldo Emerson about individualism and trying to be our own person, even that, we are listening to Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's no matter what, we always have something that's going to shape us because that's who we are. And so that means it is incredibly important for you and me to come together. Whenever we are singing praises together, you are strengthening me. And I am strengthening you. Because we're realizing, hey, this is something that we believe together. We are shaped together by each other. That's the way it's designed. We are shaped by each other in community. And if we don't have this, if we ignore what Hebrews says of do not give up gathering together regularly, we're being naive. I mean, I've heard it said before, you know, people saying, you know, I'm just really busy and I can listen to sermons online and I can do my own quiet times. And yes, those things are true, but you can't praise God with God's people on your own. And without that, you are missing something that you need to form you because we are formed by each other. Praise is social and we need social for us to be formed. And, and thirdly, we see that praise is experiential. And by that, I'm not saying that praise is like this worship experience. I know that's how sometimes we speak of praise. I'm saying praise actually is about our experiences. It, it, it connects your story to God's story so that how he is at work, how he has done things in the past and how he's doing things in the present shapes your experience. So we see this in, in verses... Um, Four through six, it's kind of subtle. Uh, you know how sometimes like in a movie when they're trying to, to move the story forward really quickly, they'll have this montage where there's like music in the background and you go scene to scene to scene to scene and suddenly a whole lot of things happen. You know what I'm talking about? Like this really quick narrative. Well, that's kind of what happens in, in verses four through six. In these three verses, he recounts the story of the Exodus to entering promised land. It's hard for us to pick up because verse 4, there's some kind of verbal connections where wondrous works to be remembered. It's, it's an allusion to Exodus, talking about how God made his works remembered when he did the ten plagues and he brought people out of Egypt. Um, the Lord is gracious and merciful. That's an echo to what God says about himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. He provides food for those who fear him. Again, that's, that's talking about the quail and the manna in the desert. And verse 6, giving them the inheritance of the nations. That's talking about how he brings God's people in and, and brings them to the promised land. It's just this really quick retelling of the story. But do you notice when he's telling the story how it always has these present-day implications? So he doesn't just say the Lord said he was gracious and merciful. He says the Lord is gracious and merciful. And then... He provides food. He remembers the story of what God did before, and he says, this is the way that God is. He provides food. He, he remembers his covenant forever. Do you see what he's doing? He's taking the story of the past, and he's connecting it to his story. He's saying, as I remember the story, I remember this is my God, the God who remembers his covenant, the God who gives food, the God who remembers us. He is connecting his story and his experience to the story and experience of what God has done in the past. And that's what praise does. It, it is not enough for you and me simply to know that God made the world, that, um, that one time God saw sinners in their sin and sent Jesus to save them. Those are facts. 
But for you and I to be made wise, we need to say that God made our worlds. And that God knows me. And he knows you. And that from before he even made the world, he already knew you and me by name, and he loved us. And, and Jesus came to rescue you and me, and you are loved by God, and Jesus died for you, and you have been rescued by Christ. You see, when we do that, we are now moving out of just the factual knowledge to the story of what God has done becoming part of our story. And that's what praise does. I mean, we were doing this just a little while ago. I was noticing when we were singing it, when we sing the song, Living Hope, and we talk about, you know, then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe, talking about the resurrection. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. In our, in our praise, we are looking at the story of God and we're bringing it into part of our experience, realizing what God has done is part of our story. Do you see how when we're praising, it, it, it deepens our knowledge. There is an emotional element. There is a social element. There is an experiential element. When those things happen, it becomes really practical. I mean, and that's even where he goes. He goes after remembering these things. He immediately talks about God's precepts in verse 7 are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. In other words, he's thinking, this is the kind of God I have, the God who has been so faithful, the God who has been so consistent. So of course I'm going to listen to him when he says, this is what I should do. I'm going to, I'm going to perform it with faithfulness because I've come to know who God is, not just with my mind, but with all of me. Do you see how this works? If you want to be wise, it's not just information acquisition. It's about having the reality of who God is shaping all of you. And that doesn't come through just reading a book. That comes through praise. So, so if there's one application I want to make as I close, it's, it's a really simple one. I want to encourage you and me together to prioritize praise. We, I think, sometimes see the first 25 minutes just as kind of a prelude, an appetizer to the real thing, which is the sermon. And I think it shows that we still think of ourselves wrongly, that we're just kind of brains on a stick and all we need is information. I want to encourage you to see things differently. I, it, it's, it can be really hard. I mean, I know this. I even said it for myself. Our brains are going everywhere, so we can go on autopilot when we're singing. For some of us with young children, it can be so easy to come late and just make sure that we're there in time for the sermon, even if we miss the other stuff, because that's filler. I want to encourage you and me to see that differently. Wisdom is gained or lost through our praise. Spiritual battles are won and are lost through our praise. And so I want to ask you and me together, prayerfully, when we are singing, to try to pay attention, to try to allow it to shape us, because that is how we become wise, that's how we become the people of God, that's how we learn how to live in this world in a way that is good and pleasing to Him. So I want to even give us an opportunity right now. You have a psalm before you that recounts some of the things about God, about how He's full of splendor and majesty, his works are remembered. He provides food for those who fear him. 
I want to invite you, and I know it's not easy for some of us, this doesn't come naturally, but it's a good first step in response to spend some time in silence in our hearts simply praising God. Maybe it's for things that you have seen this week, giving thanks. Maybe it's for things that we see in this psalm, but let's spend a couple minutes in silent praise, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a couple minutes' time. Lord God, I thank you that even though our praise is on its own inadequate, we we barely see you rightly. Our hearts do not love you to the degree that you deserve. We, We only have a taste of your glory. Even though our praise is inadequate, yet in Christ it is pleasing to you. And your spirit is at work helping us to see more and more what we so barely see. Lord, you are glorious. You are far more awesome than we realize. And when we look at what you have done, how you spoke and brought the world into being, how you spoke and sent your son to rescue a people that are completely undeserving, how you have rescued us how you have loved us, how you watch over our every moment, our every need, and are always showing grace to us. Lord, you are our Father, and we barely understand how glorious you are. And acknowledging the inadequacy of our praise, we pray that your Spirit who loves us would enable us more and more to be a people who praise you with our whole heart amongst your people in a way where our stories are more and more connected to your story. Lord, please, through praise, help us to fear you and be made wise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.